0: We are continuing on this morning through our series called Fisher of Men, looking at the life of the apostle Peter and his interactions with Jesus, who at this point in our series and in this point in the life of Jesus and Peter, he has come to describe Jesus as the Messiah. He has seen him walk on water. He has seen the transfiguration. He's seen Moses and Elijah. He's seen Jesus raise people from the dead, feed the 5,000, calm the storm. These incredible things proving again and again that Jesus really was the Son of God. And now as the the end of Jesus' earthly life is coming near, we find the disciples in a very interesting scene today, one of which I think changes Peter's life forever. I want to start, though, by asking a question. Where is your security, your safety, your plans, your sense of self-worth coming from right now. Because I don't know about you, but what I am finding in our current context is hopeless and sad and everyone is angry at everybody for everything. People are trying to prove who is right, who is wrong, who is smart, who is the dumb one in X, Y, and Z situations? Who has power and who should be in control and who is actually the weak and dumb one who should stay in submission? And it causes us to to question. All of this turmoil starts to cause us to question, am I safe? Am I significant? Do I have self-worth? How do I find peace and calm in the midst of this? How do I find the good life? What's the plan? How do I be safe? Who's on my side? Who's against me? Who might betray me? What's the solution for the chaos? I'm feeling for the suffering that I'm going through. Who do I look to? The answer is not in politicians. They come and go. The answer is not in me or the church because they come and go. Religion runs us ragged and runs us into the ground in a never-ending search for self-worth. There's never enough money. Injury or a pandemic ends the sports season and the sports career, scholarship dreams. Sex, getting drunk, getting high, it's all fleeting and goes away. Normalcy is a mirage. So where are you finding your foundation right now, your normalcy? Is it causing you to be at peace and calm, loving of others, living a sacrificial life, getting along, feeling at ease? Friends, what I wanna look at today in this passage is that when our identity is secure in the love of our Father, it leads to a loving life of service for others in the church and in our families and in our community. It leads to living the blessed life, the full life that Jesus promised, even while suffering, even while being fearful, and even during a lack of safety. If you want to turn to John chapter 13, that's where we're going to be this morning. You can look at it in the website here, or you can turn there and any copy of the scriptures you have or on your phone. But you need to understand a little bit of the context of this narrative. This is a, a famous scene that John paints for us in a different light than any of the other gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us about the Passover supper, the communion meal that Jesus institutes with his disciples. But, but John tells us a different side of this Passover meal. Earlier in the day, before we get even to this narrative, we see that Peter and John were asked to to go into town and to serve the rest of the disciples and serve the master, Jesus, by getting the Passover meal ready. They would have had to secure the ingredients, get the lamb that would be sacrificed. They had to find the room for them to meet in, set the table, get everything ready. For the rest of the disciples probably meant an early start to the day and lots of walking around and haggling and stress and to serve their brothers in this way. And when we find ourselves at the meal, we see that John, the youngest disciple, would have been seated at the seat of honor next to Jesus to his right. And it seems that Judas is to his left, close enough that they can dip bread into the same bowl. And we come to this narrative, and it's interesting to see that, that Luke tells us that somewhere in the midst of this meal, and even leading up to this, a fight had broken out amongst the disciples of who was the greatest. It's fascinating. But if you want, turn to John chapter 13 with me. I want to read this, this passage with you. I'm going to put the verses on the screen there for you as well. This is what John tells us in the beginning of chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. The other translations say that Satan had put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Again, the Greek would say that he knew that God had put all power into his hands. Whereas Satan enters Judas's heart, we see that Jesus has all power in his hands. So again, it says that Jesus knew that he'd come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash, uh, wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them." Now this passage is is loaded. First of all, a religious reading of this, a legalistic reading of this, would turn it into, Jesus served, so I must serve, that way God will be happy with me. But we want to dive into the gospel, of course, today. And as often as the case is with John and the way he tells a story, there are two layers of things that are happening here that we need to notice. First of all, there's the literal scene, the foot washing scene that is happening. It's the stuff that Jesus is doing, and we will draw things out of that. But we also, like John always does, there's this beautiful imagery telling and revealing Jesus's heart and, and a deeper picture of what is actually happening in the lives of Christ's followers. So first of all, here's what I want to look at. If we, ha- if we want to have this, this identity that comes out of us in the midst of chaos and suffering and strife, to be a loving person, to be a person who's at peace and calm, we, we have to look and see that Jesus knew who he was. He knew exactly who he was, and, and in that identity, he was secure in the Father. I mean, look at this again, right? It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, but then we get to Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Everything is in his hands. And he knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knows his identity is in the Father. And what does it inspire him to do? Get up from the table, wrap a towel around him like a slave, and wash the disciples' feet. Out of his identity in God, he served. Now, here's what's fascinating. I mentioned it earlier. Luke tells us that somewhere in the middle of this meal, there's a fight happening about who is the greatest. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish customs, The hand-washing and the foot-washing of the disciples should have happened as soon as they entered the house. It should have already been taken care of. A slave or a servant of some sort should have washed their feet. And it seems like at some point, this is my guess, is that at some point during the meal, somebody makes a comment about this. And they say maybe, hey, John, you're the youngest. You should do it. And he's like, I'm sitting at the right hand of of Jesus. I'm I'm not doing it. I'm greater than any of you guys. Me and John, I mean, me and James, we're the the sons of Zebedee. We're the sons of thunder. We're we're not going to do that. Maybe he should do it. Maybe he should do it. No, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, no, no. I'm, I'm the greatest, not you. And Peter, I'm sure, maybe was jumping right in on that. I'm the greatest. I'm the oldest. Jesus trusts me. I'm the one who's responsible for you guys. So there's this argument. And in the midst of this, I believe Jesus gets up from the table and says, I will serve you. I know who I am in the Father. It sounds like you guys are confused about who you are. I, out of my established friendship and sonship with God, will take on the form of a slave and wash your feet. So Jesus, from his identity, is called into service, and he chooses it willingly. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, in verse 2, verse uh, 2, 4, he says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, knowing he's fully equal with God, takes the form of a human servant to the point of death on a cross. And in this instance, to wash his fellow disciples' feet. Now think about this with me. Jesus does this despite his status. He serves despite his status. He's God's son. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He could call down a legion of angels to do whatever he wants. And yet, despite his status, he serves. Despite impending suffering, Jesus knew what was coming for him that death on a cross was waiting for him, that being beaten by Jewish, Jewish soldiers and, and the priest was, was in store for him. And yet, even in the midst of that intense suffering and chaotic scene that was coming, he gets up from the table and says, I will serve you in this way because he knows that he is secure in his father. He knows that all things have been put into his hands. And despite the betrayal of Judas that was coming, The abandonment of his friend Peter that was forthcoming, he still washes their feet. Friends, this is our God. Jesus is the picture of our God, so loving that he serves. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus, and Jesus gives his life as a ransom for us to set us free. This is our God, who despite his status, comes and serves us and loves us. And what we see is that he then tells his disciples, do you see what I've done for you? You should do this for one another. You should serve one another in this way. And in so doing, you would be blessed. You would find the full life that I've been talking to you about over and over and over again. And my question when I see that is, what? Like, really, that's the full life is serving in the midst of suffering and chaos, in the midst of betrayal and abandonment. Listen, I think that the best thing for me, right, and I don't know about you, but I know for me, I feel like the best thing for me to feel blessed and safe and secure is that when I'm tired, when I'm hurting, when I've been abandoned or betrayed, or when I'm scared or overwhelmed, the best thing for me to do is to isolate, to avoid people, to say I'm going to my room, uh, like I'm going to a cabin in the woods where no one can talk to me. I just need to be alone and then I will be okay. Now listen, there are times for respite and Sabbath and to be alone. Jesus took these regularly. We even talked about it in a series. But it's a selfish attempt on my part when I say, I need to get away from people so that I don't have to deal with people. Or if I want the blessed life, the full life, I get demanding of what I'm owed or what I deserve. I'll say things like, let me sleep. Stop making noise. I want to sleep in. Or... Who ate the last cinnamon bun? I deserve that. I'm the dad. Maybe some of you have felt this way. It seems ridiculous to talk about, but at the core, it's me saying, I'm uncomfortable. I don't like this situation. I deserve better than what you have given me. And rather than taking a position of serving. So how in the world, Jesus, are we supposed to do this? To, to, to be blessed by serving others in the midst of pain and chaos and struggle? How do we choose into servanthood like you have? Friends, we talk about it all the time. What we believe leads to our identity in God or in other things, but what we believe leads to our identity, which leads to behavior, belief, identity, behavior. So what do we need to believe, right? This for me is the question. We need to believe in and then accept the lordship and the servant lordship of Jesus on our behalf. We see in the stories that Peter struggles with this, right? When Jesus comes to wash his feet, what does Peter say? Oh, thank you, Lord, for serving me. He says, no, Lord, never, never. I would, I would never let this happen. And friends, can I say that this is actually prideful on Peter's part? He's again dictating to Jesus what he should and shouldn't do. You notice he's always the disciple that tells Jesus, no, I don't like it that way. No, you're not gonna do it. Here again, he says it. And then when Jesus says, no, I, I need to wash you or you have no part of me. He says, well, then I'm going to dictate again. You do it all, do everything, right? Like this is always Peter's take on things. It's amazing to see. But ultimately we see that that Peter is refusing. It's a lack of humility on his part, pushing Jesus away, saying, no, no, you can't serve me in this way. Friends, to understand the gospel, we need to accept Jesus's serving of us. What does that look like in your life to accept Jesus serving you? Because, friends, you can't be saved. You cannot have any part of Jesus. You cannot be clean if you are not accepting of Jesus' servant lordship. He needs to cleanse you. He needs to cleanse me. And if we won't accept it, then we're not with him, is what he says. So we need to humbly believe that Jesus needs to cleanse us, that we are in fact in need of cleansing. And that's the second layer of what's happening within this story that John's telling us. Did you notice that? He says, you are clean, but not all of you. He says that by being with me, by abiding in me, he says in John 15, you are clean. It's this other layer that's happening He knew that Judas was not actually with him, but he knew that the rest of these men were. And he says, you are clean, Peter, calm down. You don't need to go overboard with washing your head, your feet, hands. You're clean because you've been with me. You believe me. I spent years pushing Jesus away, saying, I'm gonna cleanse myself, Jesus, through my religious behavior. If I just do all the right actions, then I will be clean. This is sort of like, I was trying to go after this, this self-cleaning, right? And I was thinking this is sort of like a, a self-cleaning oven. You ever used this function? It's like, you gotta open all the windows, clear the house out. This thing heats up to like a thousand degrees. It's probably hotter than it is, but it heats up very, very hot and it's supposed to bake off all of the, the stuff, the crud that's been building up in there, all that gunk that gets all over the glass window, the stuff that's all over the shelves. They buy this, You can buy this cleaner that you spray in there do all this work. You can try to pre-scrub it, heat this thing up. It's supposed to burn all that stuff off and make it super clean. You ever done that? You get done and you look at it and you're like, well, it's a little bit better. I guess I can scrape some of that stuff off the bottom like the glass is still stained. The stainless racks still have stuff on them. Like it never gets totally clean. Listen, Jesus tells us, when I cleanse you, man, you, you get all the way clean. You don't, you don't self-clean heaven. You get a whole new oven, right like everything is replaced inside of you you are a new creation in ezekiel 36 fascinating little prophecy about what was coming for the people of god he says Ezekiel, on behalf of God, tells the people, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries, from this exile that you're in, and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a spirit of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws, to keep the covenant. He's saying, I someday I'm going to cleanse you and give you a new heart. Right. Like stop trying so hard to cleanse yourself and allow the spirit to enter you and clean you and make you a new creation. Stop dealing with just the external behaviors, but allow Jesus to do the deep cleaning that needs to happen in our hearts This is what we need to believe is that he came to be the servant king, the servant Lord who would die on a cross for our sins to take the penalty that we deserved to give us new life, to make us a new creation, to give us a new heart. And when we believe that, there's an internal change that happens. We come to this point of saying, I can't do it anymore. I'm done with the self-cleaning religion and legalism. Jesus, I need you to give me a new heart. And when he does, there's this internal change that happens of, of a clean mind, a clean heart, a clean conscience before God. And it gives us a new identity. You see, when we believe that, it leads to identity, which leads to behavior. So let's talk about our identity for a second. We need to believe and know that our identity is as ones who have been cleansed. Ones who have been washed by Jesus, and therefore we are friends of God. In John fifteen three, the famous uh, vine and branches prayer and passage of Jesus, he tells his disciples, my father prunes the branches so that those that aren't producing fruit will then be able to produce fruit. He says, you are already clean. My father has cleansed you. He's saying, like, this is what's coming for you when you abide with Jesus, is this cleaning. And he says, then you are friends of God. At the end of John 15, it's beautiful. He says, I am calling you to love one another like I have loved you. You are no longer servants. You are friends. Do you believe this today, church, that God wants to cleanse you and make you his friend and give you a new identity as such? I read this last week at our outside gathering in Nazareth, but I want to read it again. It's just been bouncing around in my head over and over again. Uh, In Hebrews 10, verse 19, this is a church that is suffering and struggling. And this author has been proclaiming that the, the sacrifice of Jesus, that he's the worthy high priest, that his blood has cleansed us and given us access to God. And in verse 19 of chapter 10, he says this, Therefore, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's incredible. He says, our identity is one of people who can enter into the presence of God because we have been cleansed by Jesus. We can draw near to God. It's incredible. Friends, like, do you believe this, that you can draw near to God, that that no matter what, He can cleanse you, that no matter what, He is for you, that He loves you and can give you a new heart and therefore a new identity as a friend of God, as a child of God, as a son of God, a daughter of God, the family of God. And what it does is it works through us to push us to a place of confidence, of love, of serving God others even in the midst of our struggles and our pain and our suffering because friends what jesus is calling us for here is what he was already experiencing himself that he knew he had everything from god he knew he had the love of god the position in god the sonship of god the power the authority and it encouraged him to then serve his brothers and we too when we know that we are sons and daughters of god that we have all of this inheritance in jesus that our foundation is built on him and not on idols of this world, we then can become loving servants of the world around us, that we can lovingly wash the feet of others because Jesus is friends with us and has washed us, that we have been made clean. And now we can extend that servanthood to others because of our position in God. Listen, if we are friends with God and, and we are washed Like if I'm washed and I'm friends with God, I don't have to control all of the plans to keep myself secure. And I can then wash my wife's feet and let her lead in a situation because I don't need to have it all under control. And in so doing, I join Jesus in being a servant to her. Maybe that's applicable to your boss, to your coach. To someone else who you need to give control to and stop trying so hard to hold on to it, that you can serve them in this way by letting them be in control. Or if I'm friends with God, if if, if we are friends with God and, and we know that we are significant and special, that we are important, that we that we have a mission to do, that even when we serve in a, a menial way, we can remember that we are washed by God and he is our friend. And we don't need our kids, our spouse, our friends bowing down and worshiping us, that we can actually clean their feet. We can serve them. And in so doing, we join Jesus in serving them, and he joins us and walks with us as a friend. Maybe there's a co-worker that You have been called to serve, and because of what you believe about your own status in Jesus, you have an identity as a son or a daughter that you now can move towards them in loving service. If we are friends with God, if we know we are loved, even if someone hurts me, I am washed and I am God's friend. I don't need their love and their adoration, though it would be nice. I don't need it because I have it in Jesus. I then can clean the feet of even that person who has betrayed me or abandoned me because I know who I am in God. This, friends, is the blessed life. This is the full life. Do you understand it? Do you believe it today? Nothing in the world offers this kind of love. Nothing in the world offers this kind of security not a politician, not money, not sports, not a spouse, not the church, not me. It's only found in Jesus through the gospel, through his shed blood on the cross that cleanses us and puts us into right standing with God where we are sons and daughters of his, friends with him. Friends, I believe that in this story, we see that Jesus is enacting a bit of what the Levitical priests would have to go through, that they would be washed before they could enter the Holy of Holies, and then they would take the blood of a sacrificed animal, and they would sprinkle it on the altar so they could enter into God's presence. What I see here is that Jesus is saying, you have been washed by being with me, with the word. You now know truth. And now I'm going to offer my sprinkled blood on your behalf so that you can enter into God's presence fully and be called his friend. This is what was coming in the days ahead for Jesus. And even though he knew it was coming, he still served them out of his love and out of his identity in the Father. Do you know that you are so loved by Jesus that he served you and offered his blood on your behalf? And he has given his word to cleanse you. Do you know that that you are God's friend and can join him in washing the feet of others, your friendship with others, your family, your coworkers? Do you know that you are safe and loved and significant in Jesus? And that the full life is found actually in serving others, not in dominating, not in sports, not in politics, not in money, but in the upside down kingdom of Jesus, our servant king and friend. My prayer is that you would believe that more this week, especially in the midst of this chaos and suffering that we are dealing with right now. I've asked... Tara Thompson to read Psalm 51 for us right now. And we are going to simply allow her to kind of read this over us and to soak in the compassion and the love and the forgiveness of King David when he wrote it and now us through Jesus. That our loving God is for us and he wants to wash you clean and to tear down those idols of those false securities that you're putting your hope in those those false hopes that aren't leading to life but instead call you to be washed in Jesus and serve others and find full life with him so I encourage you to listen to these words and take time to pray with Tara God bless you
1: Psalm 51 have mercy on me O God according to your unfailing love Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice. I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar." Father when we read through this psalm we're reminded of your compassion on us god your great love for us we're reminded as david called out that we are sinners we're people far from you broken hearts that we can't even completely understand all the the brokenness in us and yet you love us and we see in christ that you not only came to rescue us, but you came to give us a whole new identity. Jesus, thank you that you came to completely clean us and to make us your children, and then to bring us into this new kingdom where we get to serve as you have served. Help us, God, this week to see where you have called us and prepared us to serve as you have served Christ. And we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.